Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And today we have back on Gobi. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me, Eric. Yeah, yeah, of course. So what's what's been going on? What's new? Uh, there is actually nothing new. Uh, it's, it's continuing to uh, dribble uh, to trying to set up an Indian fund. Uh, it's taking a little bit lot longer than uh, what I thought it would take. Uh, but that's all fun. And uh, some Indian securities um, have gotten cheaper over a year or two. So maybe we can talk about a couple of them. Sure. So why don't we talk about one that might be available to U.S. investors and then one that might be just, you know, for Indian investors? Yeah, that sounds perfect. All right, cool. So let's start with the U.S. one first. Yeah, it's the, actually the, the one not, accessible to U.S. investors first. Right. It's it's actually not a US, U.S. one, but it's accessible to uh, U.S. Right, that's, investors. That's what, I, that's what I mean. Right. Uh, so this is a company. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's called Fairfax India. It's, it's set up by uh, one of the prominent uh, investors, uh, insurance businessmen uh, in Canada. They run the company called Fairfax Financial. And so they set up this entity uh, to basically participate in Indian businesses, both private and public. It's a holding company. They raised the money four years ago, uh, about a billion and one, and then they raised another 500 million. So together, 1.6 billion raised, and then they almost uh, all of it has been invested in both public and private uh, businesses in India. It trades in Canada. Uh, it is a, it, it could be a PFIC rules can affect the, the tax. Yeah, so situation. American investors um, read up on those rules because you can get really screwed with taxes. So uh, or talk to a, a professional, uh, you know, uh, accountant before you, you uh, start investing in PFICs. But for Canadian investors, so you're you're fine. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the company actually trades in Toronto Stock Exchange in U.S. dollars. Uh, and then the company reports the results in U.S. dollars. Uh, so it should be easier to follow. Okay. And then so, so tell us why you think the stock is cheap. Tell us a little bit about the history of the company. Let's, let's right. do that. Right. So before we dive into the, the cheapness or attractiveness, sure. I'll give you a history of the company and the type of assets that they own. And the listeners could, could have some ideas, and we can talk about uh, in details if you, if you want. Yeah, for sure. So this company right now about $1.67 billion raised and invested in a variety of businesses. It started in 2015. So they invested around like seven or eight securities so far, both private and public. Uh, the, the prominent ones are uh, the ones people usually talk about, uh, Bangalore International Airport. So they used to control 54% of it. Uh, right now, they sold uh, 5% like a couple of months ago. So they now, now control about 49%. And they own a, a non-banking financial company called India Infoline. So that got split into three different companies now. One is a banking, a non-banking company. One is a wealth management. One is a securities business. And then a plastic manufacturing company, PVC, business called Sanmar Chemicals. And then there's a commodities, warehousing, and uh, collateral management business. There's a, a, a fair chem, which is a specialty chemical manufacturer, and then a small bank called Catholic Syrian Bank, and then a, a small shipping company. So this is a variety of businesses that they've invested over four-year time span. And various business ownership along the way, 27% um, uh, ownership in India Infoline, 
30% ownership in Sunmar Chemicals, about 90% ownership in uh, the NCML, which is the, the warehousing uh, commodities business. Are, are you reading off notes, or did you memorize all this? I have it on my mind. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's impressive. Okay, keep going. Yeah, and then about about 50% or so in the, the private chemical business, about they, they either have a 50 or more percentage or they have a controlling ownership in the position that they invest in. So they, they could call the shots in some way. Interesting. Interesting. So what had you want to take a look at it? What, what had you think it was interesting? Well, we can we can take a look, take a look at like one of the assets, like, which is a, a highlighted asset usually is sure. the, the Bangalore International Airport. Okay. So and what, and what percentage of the book value is that? Um, right now, they carry this on the market about six hundred million or so. So you're talking about one point eight nine billion in book value. You're talking about thirty percent of the asset. Okay. In a way, but the 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 argument that I would make is uh, they are carrying it on the balance sheet. It's a very very low valuation. We can we can go deep into that. So basically, how they bought this airport is uh, is from a, a leveraged uh, construction uh, airport constructor. Uh, so they wanted to get rid of it. They were the only player they could write a half a billion dollar check at that point. And so they basically bought this airport at a ten times free cash flow. To give you an idea, which, is, which is amazing for an airport. Interesting. So, and more interestingly, the airport did not have any any debt and not do not have any debt right now. Well, so explain to me what. Just for some historical background, why would someone have sold that at ten times so, free cash flow? So this no, is yeah. a, the the guy who sold uh, the institution. They sold the businesses. Their main business is constructing airports around the world, and they actually built maybe like in a half a dozen airports in India alone. And so this one was built by them, and they they were also parallelly building airports across the globe. So they wanted to, they, they got into trouble by over leveraging themselves. So they needed to sell some assets. Uh, so they needed that liquidity. Right. So they needed, they needed to get rid of some of the assets. And it happened to be that Bangalore airport, the Fairfax India had the money at that time. They wanted to buy this asset. And 54% owned by them and maybe 10% or so owned by the government. 10% still owned by the, uh, owned by the existing, the builder. Basically, they sold it. Uh, so yeah, they have a controlling ownership. They they control the business. They run the business as a almost like a hundred percent owner would. Okay, cool. They bought this for ten times free cash flow valuation when the company had no debt. Still doesn't. At that time, the company had something like twenty two million in capacity in the in terms of airport. Uh, last year, last year was four years ago. Four years later, the purchase uh, number of. <laughs> Passengers went through the airport a little more than thirty million. Okay, interesting. So it, it's 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 a one way. It's like you know there is no way the they're building a second terminal and second a runway. So that's going to double the capacity in a way. So they have a another six year timeline or so. They are expecting sixty five million capacity, which is amazing. Uh, I cannot find another airport. You can say publicly traded, mm-hmm. uh, both not having any debt, and they're trading for ten times free cash flow, and they have about four hundred acres around the airport, which is monetizable. And they are time to time they would sell a, a parcel to somebody, or they would make a joint venture to build certain hotels, certain like you know uh, uh, certain developments around it. 
to, to make that monetizable. So this asset is basically a 30 plus 30 year lease, just like any uh, airport would in, in international space. So they have about 60 years and no one can build another airport within 150 kilometer radius, which is a governmental regulation. And so you're talking about a, a sort of a monopoly asset, very sticky in nature. The number of passengers going to go through is going to be either stable or going to be higher over time. Um, Bangalore is called like Silicon Valley of uh, India. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, the funny thing is this company is like an, um, uh, carried on the balance sheet of $650 million. And they sold a 5% of the stake, uh, I said a couple of months ago. Uh, to uh, private equity players, so they would own 49% from now on for $125 million, which basically puts the company valuation at about $2 billion. They bought this at a billion-dollar valuation four years ago. All right, so you're saying that the airport is probably worth more than the market cap of Fairfax, India? It could potentially be over time, yeah. Okay. I mean, it depends on how you value it. Like, and if you value it on a comparable basis of similar airports, easily. But right. I, can I that that won't be a conservative enough of a calculation. Got it. Got it. All right. And then um, what about? Do you look at the other assets too? Yeah, the other assets actually contribute like seventy percent of the asset base. Uh, the second one is I probably talk about. That's the bigger asset. The company called they they invested in a company, uh, non banking financial corporation called India Info Line. Now it's called IAFL Limited. So this was basically set up like 30 years ago, this business, uh, by the founders. They still own and control the business. Uh, so they developed as a securities business, like a broker securities dealer and research arm. And then they added up a wealth management business, and then they added up a, a financial corporation as a whole. And Fairfax came in four years ago, and they gave them about $250 million to get like something like 27 28%. And before that, Fairfax Financial, they had 9% ownership like 10 years ago. So together right now, Fairfax and Fairfax Financial and Fairfax India controls about 36% of the business, largest shareholder in the company. So last year, so they decided to split that non-banking financial corporation into three different businesses. Uh, one is a wealth management business. One is a securities business, which is basically a broker dealer and research management. And the other one is the atypical uh, lending business, which basically they raise money from institutional players and they lend it to uh, uh, typical retailers. Interesting. And yeah, so if you value that on a market valuation basis, which is not atrociously uh, difficult, and you're basically getting like you know, twice as much as what they put in, but they carry this on the mark-to-market basis. So... The, the company, the wealth management business maybe trades about 20 times earnings. The the lending business trades about like seven, eight times earnings. And securities business maybe trades about like 12 times earnings. Okay. So then uh, I guess putting it all together, what do you, what would you say you, you think the entire business is worth right now? Oh, much long, much larger than 1.8 billion it's trading today. But it's it's not a scientific number. Like sure, anybody, well, that's with anything. Anybody can come up with any kind of val- any kind of conservative valuation. They could put the valuation in three billion or so, and that's not interesting part to begin with, because what they can do in the next five years is going to be the amazing thing. 
So if they want to sell that controlling asset to somebody else, like you said, that airport alone could be worth the market cap. So everything else, you're getting it for free today. Right. In five years from now, it'll be much more. Now, are you worried at all about, I mean, probably less of an issue right now because of how potentially undervalued the company is, but right. more of a, from a lot, let's say someone wants to buy it and just kind of hold on to it for a while. Right. Uh, do you do you think the the fee structure is potentially a risk? Well, that is, I would say that is not a risk. That is a cost. Uh, to to invest in any company, you have to bear with the management expenses, and in some cases, you well, can't. Well, I, I, let me let me rephrase. Do you think the the fee structure? Um, well, no, it, it, I, I think it's a risk and a cost. So I, what I'm saying is, do you think the fee structure over time? you run the risk of that potentially eating too much of your returns where you end up getting a rate of return that isn't necessarily that great over time. I hope not, <laughs> but that is the risk. Uh, and how much of it it's going to eat up, it depends on how much they're going to perform. So in some ways, they are getting paid to perform. If they don't perform, they're not going to get paid. So to, to reiterate that, uh, this, uh, you're talking about the, the management incentives of Fairfax uh, Financial, who's the who's the uh, investing controlling company, right? So you're talking about they are taking 1% and 25% over 5% of the investment threshold that they that they make, uh, which is a typical or a little bit less typical to a, a hedge fund type uh, performance, right? But the argument you could say it's not a hedge fund, it's a public entity. It's not, it's not, but it's a controlled company and sure. it's 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 not a asset cannot fly out and all of that one could argue that this could be a, a little bit more of a compensation uh compared to a hedge fund structure well look, uh, other that, other companies have gotten flack for this um i mean the mo- i would say the most notorious one right is uh, big lorry holdings right right that that's true that is a cost yeah. that is a cost of running a business and and the, and, and the guys at boston and, omaha get some shit too for that right Right. I mean, that's all the same compensation structure. Basically, sure. they, they converted that from an open mandated fund to a, a holding company with a, like a closed end fund where the assets are captive. And no, I, a- I get it. I'm just I'm just trying to kind of explore all the different sides. And, you know, if, if I'm looking at this privately, like this is the things that are going through my head. What am I no, no. But clearly, yes. So this is definitely a cost that sh- yeah. that we as a shareholder, we pay to the management. So well, I would say cost and a risk. But you, if you oh, don't, the cost is always a risk, right? <laughs> because the cost well, is a well, well, what well, it's going well, out. Well, maybe like so, right? The you know, if I'm buying shares in whatever company, there's certain costs of doing business. I put that into a valuation. Um, but when it comes to sort of a hedge fund like structure, I would say that you don't necessarily know what the cost is going to, you don't know what the cost is going to be over time. So there's a certain amount of variations, right? Where if, if Fairfax India over time compounds at like 10% a year, well, then all of a sudden your returns don't, don't look so good. No, if you're, if you're, if you're expecting or like, you know, thinking I'm just that saying it's, it's, it's rare, be- it's rare to find managers that are going to compound at excessively high rates of return over time. And, you know, even even with Pramwatsa, um, who has a good track record with Fairfax, um, I don't know. I, I I just think that over over the next fifteen years, there's a lot that could go not necessarily wrong, 
But if it doesn't go great, your rate of return may not be as exciting as you may think. That's true. Uh, if they are, that's not just, going just to make- that's just how my thinking works with with this kind of stuff. I, I I'm always hesitant to say, oh, here's a here's someone who's really really great who's done really really great in the past. Well, now what's my confidence they can do such a wonderful job in the future? There's very few managers that I would I would be very comfortable with that. That's true. That that is true, and I I am saying I am comfortable with that. Given yeah, their yeah, no, 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 no. I I hear you. I'm not even saying I'm not even saying you shouldn't be. I, I'm just kind of attacking, you know, a different the, the other angle of this. Oh, that's what makes a market, right, Eric? Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I'm perfectly fine with it. Uh, yeah. In the sense that this is our capital, and I am looking at the facts, and I'm willing to forego my capital for the opportunity to participate with them. No, I think it's I think it's great. Look, one of the things that I pride myself on this show and why people I think listen because I not that I think I, I get I get letters all the time from people um, is I don't just you know suck up to all my guests and and say oh hey that's a great idea great I just take you at your word I really like to challenge people and I really like to uh, examine different ways to critically think about something and you know what I really have like I, I like to have really smart people on who aren't going to get offended by that. So I think it's awesome that we can have an interaction like that. No, that's absolutely correct. Uh, where you make a point that the incentive structure in a way, if they don't make a good enough of a return, our returns are not going to be attractive. That's right. Yeah. So, so, that, so, right, so I see it. Right. So like if you, if you, let's say you buy stock in Google as an example, I'm not making us any recommendation on Google buy or sell. I'm just saying you look at a company like Google, you kind of get an idea of like you know capex over time and what it's going to cost and you know they put a certain amount of money into other bets and you, you kind of know somewhat of the cost structure of a company like that whereas fairfax india depending on the rate of return the cost of shareholders uh could vary by quite a lot so in that sense i see the sort of that unknown is the potential risk that, that's why i look at that cost as also a potential risk where google i would call their cost structure or risk is just part of doing business. Absolutely. That's why you're paying 30 times earnings for a Google and less than book value for a Fairfax India, right? Touché. Or less than 10 times free cash flow for no, a no, no. Bangalore ab- ab- Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I, 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 I agree with you completely on that. That's a good, that's a good point. Cool. And yeah, it's basically right now the company is trading for 1.8 billion or so. And if they mark the assets based on the sales, which they would do either this quarter or next quarter. And they they would be trading for about like 80 cents on the dollar on a book value, which is book value is quite understated. And how, how much do they need to increase um, book value for uh, Prem Watson to get paid? 6%. Well, is it, is it, it's high, is it a high watermark or no? It is high water. Yeah. Yes. So are they are they under the high water mark right now? I was under I was under the no, impression they they're not. Okay. Not not last year. Uh, no, okay. They they got the management payout in 2017, not for 2018, and they're not going to get anything for 2019, unless they they sold the airport before. Right. That's what I'm saying. Is how much do they need to increase right now before Prem will start getting paid again? Well, let's say the the asset is carried on two billion. Yeah. And. It needs to be like if they do it like next year, the asset value has to be two and two and a half quarter. Got it. Like two point two five billion to get anything paid for them. Okay. All right. Interesting. All so right. yeah, the time goes on. The time goes longer and longer. The asset value has to be higher and higher to get paid, which is they're in the same boat as as us because they essentially own thirty percent of the company themselves. Is the, wait is the hurdle rate? Does the hurdle rate compound or no? 
It's not a it's, it's a not, compound. Yeah, it's a, it's a high water mark, six percent every year. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. Got it. Um, any any other um, thoughts about Fairfax India? No, Fairfax India has like a bunch of other assets which are smaller uh, asset base, which they are growing nicely and they are somewhat. Yeah, don't, we don't have to get into that kind of. I, I think that gets a little overboard. I don't want to go into every little tiny right, asset in right. Fairfax India. No, okay. it's just basically the the pitches. Like you know, you got a, a capable allocator. You can see the track record, and they are investing in an area that they've always invested in with the type of people that they have accumulated over time and you have an opportunity to participate at a discounted valuation of management's stated value right oh, at the right. cost is basically you pay them a performance fee if they if they increase their per share value by six percent yeah makes sense all right and then let's talk about an indian company that um is specifically for people who can invest in indian stocks yeah that's going to be interesting because i'm going to talk about another company which is basically controlled or controlled or managed by uh, Fairfax Financial. Okay. So this company is called uh, Thomas Cook India. Uh, a lot of people probably know what Thomas Cook is. Actually, Thomas Cook UK, uh, they probably think. Uh, that company went bankrupt. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, let's let's distinguish. <laughs> yeah, a few months ago. So this has nothing to do with the Thomas. Might be like, Gobi, you're crazy. What are you talking about? <laughs> this has nothing to do with the Thomas Cook UK, which... They had poor health of like, you know, economic characteristics for years and years. They went bankrupt last year. But this is a Thomas Cook India, uh, which they've separated like years ago. And this was a publicly traded company in India even before Fairfax came and bought you know, 75% of them. This was about like five years ago, Fairfax Financial. They bought 70% of the Thomas Cook India uh, for a cash price at that time. And then they bought it and they thought they could use it as a vehicle to invest in India. And then they soon realized that the cap size, capital size is not going to be enough for the size of the opportunity. They went ahead and do it on the side with the Fairfax India also. Interestingly enough, Thomas Cook India is still controlled by Fairfax Financial. They have their own gig going on for the last five years. So let me tell you, like, you know, what they have done in the five years. So they bought this business 75%. And then they have bought like two or three larger businesses using the free cash flow in some cases. Some cases they diluted the existing ownership of them. So they issued stock in the acquisition. So they bought predominantly two assets. The one asset is a vacation, vacation resort business. And the second one is basically a, a large human resource business. Do you, do you just out of curiosity, do you know the history of Thomas Cook? It's kind of interesting. Thomas Cook UK? Um, yeah. Yeah. Do, do you know what the Do you know what the original Do you know what, Do you know what year it was founded? Oh, it was like hundred years ago. It's a long time. It was like eight. It's like the early eighteen forties. Yeah. And do you know what do you, Do you know what the original service was? It's got to be like a financial services type company. Like, they did. Uh, they did one day rail excursions. That was their business. Interesting. Yeah. It's like eighteen forty, eighteen forty one, something like that. I'll have to look it up later. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, this is a, just a little fun fact. Yeah, they bought like you know, two large businesses along the next, you know, smaller acquisitions. It doesn't count at this point because they're very small to the nature. Uh, the two largest businesses that they bought, one was like almost a year later they acquired this business. It's called um, it's a vacation management business called Sterling Holidays. Uh, they bought it for both cash and uh, stock at that time. And later, they, they bought a, a human resource consulting company. Uh, the company was founded by a legendary founder, Kalat. 
Ajit Isaac, and that they named the company to, uh, it's called Quest Corporation. So they put the money there, and then they reinvest almost every possible money they could in that company. And when the comp- they, they took the company to public. And right now, maybe last quarter or so, they separated the company. They gave the stock to the shareholders of Thomas Cook India. So basically, they nurtured the company, and then they separated the business when they got large enough. It's it's not too dissimilar to a company called IAC Corporation, controlled by Barry Diller in the U.S. So basically, they, they buy a smaller stake in the business and then control it, and then they nurture the company. When they get to large enough scale, they separate the business and give the stock to the shareholders. Interesting. And so right now, what's so interesting is this is what they've been doing. They separated the business. So it's it's almost as like a, this company is like a spin-off, right? So they had like a lo- one large business and one large business controlled partially, which is publicly traded. And now they separated that out. So this company looks smaller than it is. So today it it's acts like a spin-off type company. If I give you the valuation, you, you may, you may, you're going to laugh at me. So the company is trading for, I'm going to talk in Indian rupees, right? Sure. Uh, about 18 or 19 billion uh, Indian, okay? Uh, the company generated last few years about, like an every year, about 2 billion in free cash flow, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not including the HR management business that's separated. This is just uh, uh, the travel management and financial services company underneath. The other company that they bought, a vacation management company, doesn't make money yet because that's a that's a cash infusion needed business. It's always increasing in size and it always needs money. And just by the way, just for my U.S. listeners, 18 billion rupees would be about 250 million dollars. Something like that. Yes, something around there. Yeah. So it's, it's, the funny thing is one business doesn't make money. Let's say a break even. They have bought that business five years ago for about like eight or nine billion. Okay, and five years later, the the size of the business and the number of users and occupancy, all of them gone up, and they still doesn't make any money. The other business, which is the bread and butter, the travel and financial services business, is the only one makes a lot of money, which is about two billion a year. And they have accumulated about ten billion in cash. The company has no debt. So you're talking about a company has a 10 billion in cash, 2 billion in yearly free cash flow. It's trading for 18 billion and one asset doesn't make money, which they would eventually spin it off or they would sell out to somebody. And that was acquired about 9 billion or so. Wow. Yeah, that, that is, that is a, a small pitch and we can dive yeah. into anything that you want possibly. Um. Well, what do you think's worth diving into? I'm going to let you uh, steer this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're thinking about it, if you take the cash out, it's really trading for five times free cash flow, and you're not valuing that vacation management business, which is 35 resorts. You're talking about 2,350 rooms, and that's thrown in for free. That's a little wacky. It is. <laughs> do you um and do you do you own it yourself? Yeah, personally, I do okay. own it. Yeah. 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 What if you don't mind me asking? What what percentage allocation is it for you? I would say about four percent. Only four. Only four. So, but sounds like it should be bigger with that. No, with it's that actually pitch. it's a recent. I said okay. like, after the separation, the company price went down. Got it. Got it. And I have time. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. Cool. And I hope it goes down further. Well, then I, I hope it goes down further for your for your benefit too. That's what I said. Yeah, like, it, it, yeah. I hope it goes down so I can increase my allocation over time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very very interesting. I lo- it's always great having you on. Um, uh, any 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 other things you uh want you know think are worth mentioning, Gobi or? No, you know, investing in India always has this, like an own quirks of you kind know, of potential risks and whatnot. And if there is an Indian who are buying the stock, they probably understand the the risks involved of Indian buying Indian businesses. Like you mentioned about the PFIC rules. Yeah. If a, if a U.S. resident or, or citizen buys a Canadian PFIC, uh, they should understand the and the legalities and risks of participating in such entity. Right. Yeah. And and Gobi, if people have any interest in potentially uh, finding out more information um, about that fund that you might, you know, you're looking to start up. Um, how would people, what's the best way for people to contact you? Basically the, the best way is like an email. Like you can, you can find my information in GB investments, which is the separately managed accounts business that I manage. Yep. Uh, the fund would be like largely dedicated to the uh, high net worth type individuals. Uh, so they can reach out to me if they, if they want to learn more about it. Okay. I have actually shared out some details with maybe potentially to you and some of my friends and I, I can send that details to them if they're if they want to know like in further on that. Okay, yeah, sounds good. Uh, you we'll, can basically put that you know on our uh, notes or something. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it all we'll put it all in the show notes. Yeah, that'll be great. Thank all you. Right, yeah, my pleasure. Uh, Gobi, it was a pleasure to have you on, and uh, hope to uh, have you back on again. Absolutely, fun to talk to you always, and always, uh, we man. hope to touch base again another time. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll be in Virginia soon, so maybe we can uh, grab some coffee when I'm when I'm back in town. Absolutely, yeah. Let me know. Uh, you know, I'll, I'm I'm here. So, sounds good. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Have a good day. Hey, you too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.